If you don't know me, I am Dustin Olson, Pastor Jeff's favorite son-in-law, and he saved the best for last. I'm totally kidding, Kenan, but I better bring it after saying that, right? <laughs> In the beginning, God created everything perfect. He created the universe, he created the stars, he created the earth, and on the earth he made all the plants and all the animals. But then he got to man, and he said something special about man when he created him. He said something unique, something different. What did he say about man that was special, unique, and different? Let me read Genesis 1, 26-27 real quick. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You might have noticed a repeated phrase there. God says three times, that we are created in his image. Made in his image makes mankind different than all the rest of creation. It makes man unique. Well, what does that mean to be created in God's image? Why is it so important that God mentions it three times in those two verses? Well, the truth is that there are lots of things that it does mean. But I want to focus in on one main idea this morning identity. And along with that, how mankind was created with a unique identity. At creation, mankind's identity was that they were sons and daughters with a spirit and nature like God. They were made in God's image. While talking about identity today, we're going to look at multiple scriptures that speak about this and and it's not going to be just one section of scripture. I wish I could elaborate in a deeper way on some of these things, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to be able to mention them. Before we go any further, though, you might be wondering, what does identity mean, Dustin? What are we talking about when we say the word identity? Well, I'm glad you asked. The best way I can define identity in a biblical way is that identity is what determines your value and defines who you are. Identity is what determines your value and defines who you are. So again, mankind was created with this unique identity. And that identity is that mankind was sons and daughters with a spirit and nature like God. Mankind is unique and nothing else in creation was like mankind, who was made in God's image and likeness. So as we continue on after mankind was created, we don't know how long Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect identity and relationship with God after creation. It could have been years, it could have been months, it could have been just a, a couple hours or days, we don't know, God doesn't say. But most of us know what comes next. God has this tree in the garden called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he specifically told Adam and Eve, you shall not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, 
you shall surely die. And so Adam and Eve are hanging out by this tree, and the serpent, the devil, has this conversation with Eve. Now before I get to the conversation, I just wanted to say, I have no idea why Adam and Eve are hanging out by a tree that God said they would die if they ate of it. I mean, come on. I would think that the tree that would be the most avoided in the garden is the tree that they would die if they ate of it. But at any rate, they are there by the tree, and this conversation happens with the serpent, which I'll paraphrase. The serpent says, Did God really say that you would die? Did God really say that you would die? You won't die. He knows that you will be like God. Remember what I read just a moment ago? We were created in the likeness and image of God already. But Eve believes him, eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit too, and they both drop dead to the ground. Wait a minute. They didn't die? I thought God said, you will surely die. Why didn't they die? Either God was lying or something actually did die when that happened. Well, what died? What was lost at that moment? They lost their identity and spiritually died. When we physically die, our spirit and soul are separated from the body. The body apart from the spirit is dead, right? Well, the spirit apart from God is dead. So mankind was separated from God at that moment and lost their identity. You know, I like to grow fruit trees, but some of you know that it is not an easy task in Central Oregon. And every year I prune my trees and I cut off lots of branches. But what happens to those branches that I cut off? Well, just like any plant, they'll last for a while, right? But eventually being cut off from the tree, its life source, it will die, right? It might look pretty for a while, but eventually it's, it's going to wither because it's cut off from its life source. They are considered dead the moment I cut them off from their life source. It's the same idea when our spirit is cut off from God. We are spiritually dead without God. So with identity being lost now, mankind's nature will begin to look nothing like God, nothing like it used to be. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, they show the first sign of their lost identity. What do they do? They run and hide. They feel shame and guilt for the first time and become a slave to sin, sin consciousness, searching for acceptance, love, purpose. They're running from God who calls himself love. Who is love? God didn't change. They changed. They have lost their identity and don't know who they are apart from God. They have lost their identity and don't know who they are apart from God. So now, from this point on, everyone is now born sinners. People are not sinners because they sin, 
after this point, but they sin because they are born sinners. I just want to repeat that one more time. People are not sinners because they sin after this point, but they sin because they are born sinners. Everyone is now born into sin with a lost identity. You know, having kids is really an eye-opener to what I'm talking about here. I mean, I never taught Ryder, my son, to bite people when he's mad. I mean, I wasn't like, to my wife, Kara, I am so mad at you right now, I'm just gonna... and started biting her, right? (laughs) I mean, I was... And Ryder was like, oh, that's how we're supposed to behave. No, of course not. He has been born into sin with a lost identity apart from God. You don't have to teach kids how to be naughty. All parents know this. In fact, one of their first and most coveted words is no. (laughs) If you can see that picture of this boy up here, by the way, I would not want to be bit by that boy right there. I'd probably have to go to the hospital and have to get injections after that. I mean, something is wrong. I mean, he's like foaming at the mouth. (laughs) Anyways. So again, people are not sinners because they sin after this point, but they sin because they are born sinners. So let's jump ahead in the Bible where God hands down the law to Moses. By the way, there's a legit picture of Moses coming up here, by the way, on one of these slides. I I just have to say that because he seems so rugged to me. I mean, I wouldn't want to mess with that Moses. He's not just like the typical like Moses holding the Ten Commandments. He has like a bandana. Like he's he's ready to to get business done. (laughs) So if you're not familiar with the Bible, Moses is the man who was used by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery from the Egyptians. And so Moses gets the law handed down to him by God. He goes up to this mountain, and God gives him the law. But why? Why does God give the law? Is it just so mankind knows right from wrong in God's eyes? No. The law was not given to make people righteous or right before God. Listen to Romans 3, 19-20. Now we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. There's proof right there that the law can't make you right before God. It says, for by works of the law, no human being, that's all of us, will be justified in his sight. So it brings knowledge of sin, sin, and the whole world is held accountable to God. With the law coming, God sets up all these observances and sacrifices that the people need to follow in order to be temporary clean in his eyes. Year after year, there's these sacrifices and observances that are a constant reminder of mankind's sinfulness. No one was exempt because everyone failed God, and everyone has been born into sin. Think about this. Your whole life, having to constantly remember how bad you have been, because you cannot, on your own, be in relationship with such a pure and holy God. Now, these were temporary and shadows of what God was trying to lead them to. 
A shadow is not the reality, but it points to the fact that there's a greater reality of something, right? If you saw my shadow on the wall over there, you could determine a few things about me, but that's about it. You might be able to tell if I'm sitting down or if I'm standing up or maybe if I'm wearing a hat, you'd be able to see that through my shadow. But ultimately, it's a shadow and it points to the fact of a real person being there. So, something greater is coming than the law and all the sacrifices. Listen to Hebrews 10, 1 through 3. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So after the law came, the sacrifices the people had to do are a constant reminder of sin. There's this cycle of sin that the people are in. They're slaves to sin. People continually are failing God all through the Bible, even those who are close to God. I don't have time to tell you all the examples of the people in the Bible who failed God, but let's just take David, who was called a man after God's own heart. David was a murderer and committed adultery with the man's wife that he murdered. Think about that. It's like if someone killed me, then took my wife as their own. If that person got caught, they would probably spend life in jail, right? <laughs> but let's be honest, Kara. You couldn't find someone better looking than this, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. Let's, let's just be real. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so my point is that people are failing, failing, failing all through the Bible. Even the greats and those close to God, even those who have the title, a man after God's own heart. So if no man can be justified with the law, and no one can become right with God through it, and it just gives us knowledge that we are failing God, why then was the law given? I'm going to read the Amplified version of a verse here. And I know some of you are like, Amplified? Come on, man, get a real version. Bear with me now. Bear with me. <laughs> okay. Here's Galatians 3. 23 through 24. It's the Amplified. Now before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, perpetually imprisoned in preparation for the faith that was destined to be revealed, with the result that the law has become our tutor and our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ, so that we may be justified that is, declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God by faith. So the law came from God to give us knowledge of sin and ultimately to tutor and guide us to Jesus Christ, to point us to our need for a Savior, for Jesus. 
That's what the law ultimately was doing, pointing us to Jesus. We need Jesus to get our identity back and into the family of God. Why? Because you cannot get to God on your own. You can never be right with God on your own. God is trying to tell mankind that your identity and spiritual depravity cannot be fixed without Christ. It cannot be fixed on your own. Mankind is in need of a Savior, and the law is pointing mankind to that fact. That leads us into a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that leads us into what God wants to do for mankind to fix this problem. This is a prophecy of the greater things that are coming to mankind to fix their identity, to restore what was lost at the fall. It's the reality that the shadows were pointing to. It's in chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. You don't need to go there. I'll just read it for you. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. What in the world is his prophecy talking about? We'll get there in one minute. Some of you are like, don't do that to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so Jesus finally comes the long-awaited Messiah, and he's doing amazing miracles. He's healing all who come to him, and he's preaching about the kingdom of God. And a Pharisee comes to him in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anyone to know he's meeting with Jesus, probably out of fear of his fellow Pharisees finding out. The Pharisees, by the way, are a group of people who oppose Jesus and ultimately conspired to kill him. I want to read this encounter. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along. It's in John 3, 1 through 6. Starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So Jesus presents to Nicodemus here a radical idea, being born again. Born again? What in the world is Jesus talking about? I mean, Nicodemus here asks a pretty good question that most of us would also ask. Look what he says again. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says that unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, being born of water is being born physically. Every mom that has given birth here 
knows that their babies lived in a sack of water in their tummy. That's being born of water. Now, the reason Nicodemus was confused here is because he was thinking Jesus was talking about being born again in the flesh, right? That, that's impossible. Being born of the Spirit is where being born again takes place. Remember that Ezekiel verse we read a moment ago? The prophecy? It said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Being born again is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And it's getting that new spirit inside of mankind. It's a spiritual rebirth. God knew that the spiritual death that, the, that mankind had and knew that Jesus was the only way to restore that relationship back with him and restore our identity. Why? Remember at how Adam and Eve fell and spiritually died in the beginning, losing their identity and perfect relationship with God? Jesus is saying we need to be remade back into God's image the way you were originally were at creation, before mankind fell into sin and separation from God. God wants to restore what was lost at the fall. How do you get born again? How do people get born again? Being born again happens when a person places their faith into Jesus Christ and what he has done at the cross for mankind. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross and became the eternal sacrifice for mankind. Those sacrifices that people had to do are done. Jesus is the reality that the shadows were pointing to. God's gift of being born again is for anyone who will believe. At that moment you place your faith in Jesus, you become born again and you get a new identity. And that identity now rests in what Christ has done for you. Now I want to focus in now on what it means to be born again. The new identity that believers have after they've put their faith in Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, a change takes place and there's a new identity you have now that you've been born again. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet, stay with me because today might be the day you are born again because I believe it is no accident that you are listening or that you are here today. So, what is distinct or different about being born again? How is a born-again person's identity different now? Let me remind you really quickly of the definition of identity I said earlier before I talk about a believer's new identity. Identity is what defines you and where you get your value from every day. So the first thing about your new identity is that you get a new spirit within you, created in true righteousness and holiness. You're like, wait a minute, I have wrinkles and pimples, and you should see me when I wake up. It's not your flesh, it's your spirit within you that is created new and righteous and holy. Listen to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. But that is not the way you learned in Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That new spirit was created in you that was created in you is perfectly righteous and holy. Also, did you catch what he said there about what this spirit is created after? Does that sound like when God originally created mankind? It says, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. That's awesome. So the next thing about a believer's new identity is that, it, that they are completely forgiven. Every sin. Jesus became the final sacrifice for your sins. Remember how I read Hebrews 10, 1 through 3 earlier? I talked about the law being a shadow and, it, and that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to wipe away sin. Let me read from the very same chapter, but verses 11 through 14, a little bit ahead of that, or after that. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that last verse? He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Your spirit has been perfected, has, past tense. You are forgiven. Along with that, you also become a son and a daughter of God. You are adopted back into the family of God. So, I have this niece who is so stinking cute. Her name is Scarlett. You may or may not have met her, but she is so awesome and our family loves her so much. In fact, besides mommy and daddy, maybe not, I'm, there, an argument could be placed here, I'm her favorite. <laughs> As I'm sure all of you can see why, right? Some of you are like, Dustin, the favorite? That doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> so... She was adopted into Kenan and Courtney's family, and she now shares in everything they have. They now call her their daughter, and she is their daughter. God did the same with us. He caused us to be born again and gave us a new spirit and adopted us back into his family. Listen to Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God becomes your father. You're his kid now. Before you were born again, you were not a child of God, but now you are in his family. Some translations even translate Abba as Daddy. That's, that's intimate. He is your father. You know, I talked about fruit trees earlier. Well, did you know that you can take a type of apple tree, you can cut off its branch, and then graft that branch back and on into a completely different tree, and it will take it as its own 
and bear fruit? That's like taking a limb off of my, my hand off and then putting it on someone else's body and it taking it, right? You can do that with apple trees. Well, you were like that branch that was cut off at the fall. You were spiritually dead. You were considered dead. But by putting faith in Christ, you were grafted onto the tree and you can now receive life from the tree again. That's awesome. I know you all want a fruit tree now. Just admit it. Just admit it. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Next, you are always loved and accepted every single day. And God's grace is being lavished upon you. That's part of your new identity. There can never be a day in your new identity when you are not loved and accepted. God is your love and acceptance. You might say, but my friend or my family member, they don't love me today or, or anymore. You're still loved because God loves you. You know, that's super empowering if you let it be. All these things about your new identity can empower you. Next is, God is always with you and lives inside of you. He says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever heard that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you? That's a verse in the Bible. That's because God is in you. Sometimes people pray, please, God, just be with this person today, or I pray that you will be with, with us today, or I got to ask you that you will be with these people as they go here or there, or please be with us today. Now, I know that God does, I know that that doesn't always mean someone believes God is not with them, but sometimes it does. I'm not saying this to attack anyone. I just want you to believe that he's always with you. It's part of your new identity. Let's, let's thank God that he's with us now. Thank you, God, that you're always with me. Thank you that you never leave me or forsake me. Earlier, I read a verse that mentioned your old self and your new self. What happened to your old self after being born again? Your old self died with Christ, and now Christ lives through you. The new spirit you received from God is the new you. The old you is dead. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old person in you, who you were before Christ, has been crucified with Christ. That person is dead, and you are now a new person, and Jesus now lives through you every day. Or listen to Romans 6, 5 through 7. I know I'm just blasting you guys with verses. It's like a machine gun. Just bear with me. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Again, our old self was crucified with him and our new self is united with Christ in his resurrection life. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new person in Christ. That verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you are a new creation. I hope that you're seeing that there's a newness of life that comes when you're born again and that that is the person you become when you get born again. In a sense, you really do get born again. You are a new person in Christ. You have a new identity. With this new identity now, though, what are some roadblocks to living in our new identity? What are some things that get in the way into living in that, in that new identity? Maybe there's some things you've been getting your value from and wrongly defining yourself with. All those things we just mentioned about a believer's new identity are something you need to choose to walk in. It's a choice. All believers can choose to live by that old dead person and never bear the fruit of the new spirit that's in you, or you can walk by that new spirit with the resurrection life of Christ. So what are some roadblocks that might keep us from walking in that new identity? Let me mention some things and try to identify if this might be true for you. If it is, recognize it and move into your new identity. Don't condemn yourself. Just move into your new identity and, and walk away from that. The first roadblock to living in our new identity is, how do you see yourself? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, a man, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How do you see yourself? Maybe every day you, you see yourself as worthless. Or you see somebody with no hope or no future. You have to see yourself the way Jesus sees you right now, not the way you feel like. You have to see your new self in God's family, accepted, loved, righteous, and holy in God's eyes, full of grace and favor. Maybe your past defines you. Maybe there are things in your past that stick to you and are defining, defining your value and, and who you are. You messed up here and there, and, and now that's who you are, a failure because of something you've done in your past. You might say, but Dustin, you don't know what I've done. Are you saying that your failures are greater than God's grace? Your past has been wiped away. You're a new creation. Forget about your past and see your new identity. Maybe others tell you who you are. Or maybe you're waiting for someone to tell you who you are. Stop waiting for people to tell you who you are. God has already told you who you are in Him. Maybe it's how people treat you. Maybe that's your identity every day. You become only as good as people are treating you on that day. If people treat you bad, that becomes who you are. If they treat you good, you have a good day. If you live by how people treat you, let me tell you, you are elevating them to be your God. Why? Because they determine your day and who you are. The only person who should tell you who you are is Jesus Christ, who is God. Is being popular identity? 
Maybe you're someone who just has to be cool, and without that, you become nothing. Maybe you just need to be the center of attention, and if you're not, you feel like less of a person. Come on, let me tell you, being cool will fade away. And what you're really doing is letting people's perspectives of you define who you are. Maybe your identity is that you need to be needed. Being needed gives you your value. And without that, you feel like less a person. It could be that you're putting your identity into things of the world, like your job, what you're good at. One day that will fail you. What happens if you lose your job? You lose your identity. You get injured or you realize you're not as good as you thought you were at something. Maybe it's being a parent. Now moms, listen to me. I love you. I love you all. Moms are amazing. And I know this is your day. But don't let that be your identity. Don't let being a mom be your identity. That goes for dads too. I'm a dad. But that's not my true identity. That's not your true identity. Your identity is who you are in Christ now that you've been born again. Maybe it's your ministry or the ministry you serve in. Maybe that ministry has become your identity. It's become who you are. Listen, God never intended your ministry to be who you are and where your value comes from. Guys, the list goes on and on for all of us. And all these fleshly, earthly things, you're only as good as what you're putting your identity in on that day. It changes. You change with it. And it will always fail you. Get off that roller coaster of life and see the real you. Live in your true identity, who you are in Christ now that you've been born again. You know, maybe you've never been born again. You will never be free if you do not become born again. Remember, the problem is that you are spiritually dead. There is no hope anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus came and died on a cross to free you from sin. Being born again is where sinners become saints and where your failures or ability to sin do not define you anymore. But instead, you have become, you can become a beloved son or daughter in his kingdom. Listen, there's a sense of urgency when Jesus says you must be born again. He doesn't say you should be. He doesn't even say that it's a good idea or let's think about it for a while. He says you must be born again. There's no such thing as universalism where people believe that everyone goes to heaven and that there's no hell. You must be born again. If you're not born again, get born again today. It's time to get adopted back into the family of God where you're always loved, accepted, your past is wiped away, you get a perfect father. I'll pray here in a moment. And if you haven't been born again, you can receive that free gift. For those of you who have been born again, maybe you've forgotten your true identity. Maybe you need to realize what it means to be born again today for the first time or to remember what it means. Maybe life came hard and you've let life tell you who you are. Maybe you've been determining your value off things, how much money you make, your job, how good you look every day, what you're good at, what you're not good at, or how 
good or bad your marriage is. Listen to me. Please, please stop that. There is no life in any of that. Your life is living by the new person by faith that God made you to be when you were born again. You cannot forget who you are. Do not let life define you, and do not pull your value from anything other than Jesus Christ and what he's done for you at the cross. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and and I thank you for your presence here with us, and corporately and, and individually as believers. You know everyone's heart, Lord, but there might be people here today who have forgotten who they truly are. God, let today be a reminder of the true person that they are. You know, Lord, who they are. So I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you will speak to them and let them know you are ready to walk with them in their new identity. God, give them strength to let go of the old person who has died and to walk in the newness of life in you, Jesus. And Lord, I don't know if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, but but you know about them and you knew they would be here. You knew they would be listening today. In fact, I believe you drew them too. God, you are so good. And if if you're tugging on someone's heart today, I hope they can pray these words with me right now to be born again. Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sins right now. All the things I've done that separate me from you. God, and I ask you for your forgiveness, to forgive me of all of my sins. I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ, to be my Lord and Savior right now, knowing you, Jesus, are the only way, not by my works, but what you have done for me at the cross. And from this moment on, I am a new creation. I have a new identity. Thank you, Lord, that my past is wiped away by what you've done on the cross for me. Thank you for dying in my place. Amen.